Welcome to episode 222 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Today I'll be talking to brothers Alex and Tyler Mifflin about their TVO original series, The Water Brothers. The fifth season premiered earlier this month on TVO, tvo.org, and TVO YouTube across Canada. And it's, a, it's an eco-adventure documentary series that explores the world, uncovering the most challenging water stories of our time. Alex and Tyler investigate the problems and search for solutions, talking to conservationists, scientists, and citizens around the world. Alex and Tyler, welcome to Energy Talks. Thanks so much for having us. Great to be yeah, here. Great to be here. Well, look, this is, before we get into the actual documentary, you know, you and I, we were all chatting before we started the uh, started the episode. And I was mentioning that if I was going to do a, a TV series, I would do it just the way you two do. And it's, it's so cool that you have Tyler... Tyler works the camera, looks after the gear, the audio, all of that. Alex is on on screen most of the time. And and you just wander around. You don't have a crew. You just wander the wander the world doing these great stories. You know, this is your fifth season. Alex, what how did that evolve? How did you get the idea and get started on this? The idea to start the Water Brothers uh, came about pretty soon after Tyler and I graduated from university. We're, we're pretty close in age, just like about a year and a half apart. Um, graduated around the same time. You know, Tyler was out at UBC. He wanted to stick around an extra year to go snowboarding even more. So he took it real slow. <laughs> uh, but we, So we both graduated around the same time. And uh, we got back to, to Toronto, where we're from. And... We're working for our family business, SK Films, and we do IMAX films that play at science centers and museums around the world. So we both produce and distribute uh, these films, you know, educational, wildlife, science, um, some similar content to what we do now with the Water Brothers as well. But, you know, we wanted to also just do our own show. Um, and we had a lot of ideas. It wasn't even necessarily going to be a show. We just were like, OK, we want to do our own documentaries. We want to go out on our on our own and do something on our own and everything came back to water all the different ideas we were talking about you know we wanted to talk about wildlife but we also knew like there's so many threats to biodiversity there's so many cr crises like with the environment like that and and that we need to raise awareness about the problems but also the solutions we wanted something that had like a really positive angle to it not just doom and gloom and yeah, like I said, everything, uh, all the different topics we were sort of brainstorming, it was all like, oh, that's like a water story. That's a water story. Like all the big stories in the world, everything's connected to water. And just through that whole process of brainstorming, it was just like, what, why don't we just do a show about water? And, you know, we're brothers, um, you know, we, we can we, we can just work together and, and go out on the road. And uh, we shot a little pilot and the, the rest is kind of history we, we got really lucky with, with the pilot and um and got picked up by tvo well your timing couldn't be better because with all the the concerns about climate change you know we, we're starting, we're starting to have heat domes and and droughts are getting worse and worse and spreading up you know you know so water is i think more and more at the top of everyone's of mind it's a topic of conversation and policy discussions and so on but tyler uh i i'm kind of curious so when you guys are out on the road any bun fights you know, oh yeah, I, yeah, definitely. De I mean, we're brothers. We've been, you know, we've been fighting for thirty plus years. But the good thing is that we have a lot of experience making up, and we have a shared passion and goal for creating these documentaries. Uh, and so that's really what's enabled us to work so well together. As Al said, I kind of have a more of a 
film production, sort of filming, producing background. Um, and Al studied earth and ocean sciences and international development at Dalhousie on the East Coast. So he definitely is more of the of the guy leading the research and, and helping craft these stories. Um, but over the years, we've definitely cross-pollinated and Al's become a, quite a good shooter. And um, and I've definitely learned so much through the process of putting these episodes together and getting to do research and work with our scientists and community outreach partners. So yeah, it's it's there's definitely always, anytime you're in production on something and, you, and it's high stress moments and we're traveling together, sometimes with one other person, but most of the time it's just Alex and I, a lot of gear, a lot of stress to produce these things in a certain amount of time, working with limited budgets. Um, yeah, tensions get high, but it's the really, it's the passion and the drive to, to create these stories that really drives it. And so we make up a lot. Now, I got to ask a question because uh, my, my wife, Joanne, is, you know, when she was working in TV news, she was always complaining that the talent would never pick up the gear and, and help. You know, they always. So does that happen? Alex, Alex skiffs, skiffs you with all the heavy gear and, and makes you, you know, hump this stuff around or does does he pull his weight? No, I, I think we have no choice but to pull weight. My only complaint is that for one reason or another, I'm always left with the tripod bag, and the tripod bag is the most uh, uncomfortable one to carry. <laughs> you know, so Tyler has no problem pulling weight, but <clears throat> I'm always left with the hardest one, or the most uncomfortable one to carry, and that's been going on for many years now. Well, I have to tell you, when I met my when I met Joanne, uh, I was a print reporter, and she this is would be like 1988, 89. And I was a print reporter and she worked for the TV station and she had to carry around like a big camera. Like I, I've seen the camera that you use, Tyler. And of course, it's it's a modern, you know, it's quite light, quite light and high, very high quality. But this is back in the days of Digibetacam and, you know, they were big cameras. They were heavy. And then on top of that, she had to carry these big, heavy wooden industrial tripods that, you know, it should take three men to carry. And and these poor shooters, you know, and and then the the pretty, you know, the, the talent would come in, and they they of course, you know, never carried anything that was beneath them. So this is a running joke in our, you know, you know that that when when we go out, I'm expected to hump some gear. That's just the way it is, man. Okay, well let's let's talk. I'm I'm still before we get into the into the episodes and what you're covering this year and some of the stories. Just one more question, Tyler, about the the technical side. Because I mm -hmm. noticed, like, you're using a high-end video camera, and we ditched those uh, quite a while ago and went to mirrorless, sort of like D DSLRs. And mm -hmm. and we even actually use iPhones. The quality of on an iPhone at 4K is just amazing. And 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 so when I saw what you were using, now does that is that a consequence of kind of your technical background at SK Films doing IMAX? You know, that's what you're used to. Or have you thought about some of this lighter, you know, more flexible gear that that I've been that I talked about? Yeah, no, I mean, there's honestly, well, nowadays there's so much incredible camera technology um, and that you can really utilize in so many different ways. So it really just depends the nature of the project that you're working on. You know, obviously for some of our IMAX projects, we use a bit, you know, we use AK high end, you know, uh, you know, expensive cameras. With this TV show, we were shooting on the Sony FX6, the FX3. Uh, you know, we use GoPros. We use a whole variety of cameras. It's not one that that sort of we stick to. It really depends on the nature of the shoot and our goals to try and uh, capture. Uh, you know, whether it's wildlife or um, doing interview stuff. So it really it really depends. Um, but you know, definitely uh, we try to use the the lighter the, the you know the smaller, more compact our sort of camera rigs can be. The the easier it is for us traveling and carrying a lot of gear all over the place in remote areas. So 
yeah, that's definitely something that we're cognizant of to try and keep our gear as, as light, but as uh, you know, high quality as possible. Yeah, I and, appreciate. And we we have we have a couple iPhone shots in there. I won't tell you which ones, but there are <laughs> one or two I, iPhone shots in in the new series and uh, the drones. I'd say like the biggest change, even just from like this season, like with each of the last couple seasons, has been the you know the improvement in drone technology. Tyler's an incredible drone pilot, uh, and just like even just having the newest, latest like drones on this season, it's just it's it's very evident that it's it's better you know? yeah it's it's really interesting joanne is, is uh, fascinated with with drone shots i mean there, some of them are so beautiful and you get a perspective on particularly you know if you're talking about water and, and you know it's a, a nature-based kind of uh show then getting ab up above and give, getting that perspective uh just really adds to it i i can see where you'd want to do that and uh i hope joe joanne doesn't listen to this because now she's going to want a drone or two or three <laughs> you know how it is right um, yeah <laughs> Well, look, uh, Alex, I'm going to come back to you again. Um, what, what, tell us, give us a little overview of season five of your series. So season five's a little bit different um, because it focuses all uh, on Ontario. I mean, uh, the, the subjects we've chosen, I think, have national and international relevance and appeal. But uh, we started this journey in, you know, the middle of the pandemic, really. Um, that's how it came about. Our fourth season came out in 2017. We weren't sure we were going to be doing a fifth season because after that fourth season came out, we started focusing a lot more on our IMAX giant screen work here at SK Films. And then when the you know COVID hit, uh, we couldn't really travel internationally uh, as much anymore. And then TVO reached out to us and said, hey, we'd like to renew all the past four seasons um, you know, I they were still getting great viewership on the reruns and everything. And we were like, Hey, if you're, if the audience is still there all these years after the fourth season came out, like, why don't we do a fifth season? And if we can't leave Ontario, why don't we just do, or we can't even leave Canada, um, at that time, why don't we just do an all Ontario or all Canada based season? And that's, that's how it came about. So, um, that's a big reason why we chose certain uh, subject matter. But like I said, it's, uh, we definitely tried to choose episodes that we could film here in Ontario, but someone watching on the other side of the world would be like, oh, I'm impacted by this, you know, the loss of wetlands, um, nature-based climate solutions related to soil and agriculture and uh, protecting wetlands are relevant to everyone all around the world, especially uh, in, in this in this time that we live in. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. And uh, we're doing a series on the Alberta oil sands and uh, through the lens of the of the provincial regulator. And so I've had to talk to indigenous communities up there about, you know, leaks and spills and what's getting into their ecosystem and their water. And and if you I don't know if you've done a, uh, an episode on the oil sands and the Athabasca River and, and all of that. Uh, have you? And if you haven't, are you planning on doing one in the future? Maybe Tyler will direct yeah, that no, question. Yeah, that, no, that, that's a great question. And the answer, short version is no, we haven't done one. But every season we've been exploring that, researching it, trying to see how we could tell a unique story that really relates to water. And there's so many ways we could do that. Um, but no, it's just one that is obviously very contentious. Uh, and we just, it's, you know, as our first four seasons, we usually did a mixture of about, three or four international stories that would take us all around the globe. We do sort of one, maybe two in Canada and one or two in the U S depending. Um, 
So every season, it was really about the timing, kind of, you know, figuring out with our budget how we could make all these sort of jigsaw puzzles fit together with the stories we want to tell. And unfortunately, we we have never done one on on the oil sands in Alberta yet. Um, but we would definitely love to, uh, you know, try and tell that. You know, it's been done. It's, a lot of people have worked on docs about that. And so we're always trying to figure out how can we take a new angle, a new approach that's different, that's uh, that's unique. So, well, we'll have yeah, to have just a, to add, well, Sure, go ahead. No, Mike, to, to, just to quickly add to that. Um, it's just like, yeah, we've we've considered that as probably every season we've done, but it seemed like every season there was like another big documentary. There was a, one of the seasons, there was another big TVO uh, doc coming out all on that subject. And we, we, we got to watch and we're like, I don't know if we can add anything totally like, unique. Like, I don't know if we're going to be doing any, anything different that hasn't already been said, but it's, the, you know, it's not like we, we would never do it. It's obviously a huge water issue in this country. So it, it's something that, that we'd... Uh, We'd, we'd still like to pursue one day. We do another yeah, season. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Alex, this question is for you. Um, what's your favorite episode? Uh, and and don't tell me you don't have a favorite episode. I'm pretty sure you <laughs> do. What's your favorite episode from this season? Well, I, I think the favorite ep episode from this season would have to be uh, the Breathing Lands, and that's our episode about peatlands. Um, peatlands are a type of wetland that is uh, incredible. Uh, they're one of the most powerful land-based carbon storage systems on the planet. They store, you know, five times as much carbon, you know, per square kilometer as the Amazon rainforest, the, you know, the healthiest parts of the Amazon rainforest. And Canada is home to like nearly 25% of the world's peatlands. They only cover, you know, like a, a very small percentage of the Earth's surface. I think it's something like, three percent or maybe one percent but they store like more carbon than all the world's forests combined um and so we have this incredible treasure here in in canada and especially in ontario where we have the second biggest peatland complex in the world so we got to spend a lot of time up there we were up on the shores of hudson and james bay um and i think one of the reasons why it's my favorite is not just because the, the, the subject matter is so fascinating and important um you know there's a we we need to do a much better job in Canada protecting peatlands, but just like the wildlife we got to experience up there, you know, it's so many people in Ontario, you know, especially forget that where we have an ocean coastline, like a massive 1300 kilometer ocean coastline. We have polar bears, we have beluga whales, we have like a marine environment in Ontario. We don't, we, we, we forget that all too often. And so we, we kind of went up there to remind people about this most remote part of the province um, and how important it is for the entire world. And so we just were up there um, working with the Meshkegawa Council, and we were with uh, the Winnisk First Nation up at the shores of uh, Hudson Bay where the Winnisk River meets um, the bay. We spent, uh, we did a couple trips to the same spot. We were surrounded by 3,000 caribou one morning, uh, polar bears just like walking by camp. Uh, it was just one of the most incredible filming experiences we've ever had over all the seasons we've done that's why it's definitely the favorite for this one because i don't think we've it's some of the best wildlife experiences we've had anywhere in the world and we've, we've gotten to have a lot of incredible experiences uh doing this series well your comment about being on hudson bay uh hudson's bay uh sparked a memory because i grew up in a little town called gillam uh about 150 kilometers south of churchill northern manitoba and it was it was the hydro uh the nelson river flow is a big river flows into the hudson's bay and that the manitoba hydro has built a number of dams uh, hydro dams 
on that river. My dad worked at the first one uh, called Kettle Rapids. And in the, you know, going to high school in the 70s, we used to take the train up to Churchill for sporting events. And I, you know, middle of winter, the bay's frozen over. And But I'll never forget being in the Churchill High School. And they have this giant glass window that looks out over the bay. So imagine that everything's frozen. It's it's just snow. And it's white on white on white forever. And it's the most amazing thing. All you can see is white. Your whole world, your whole vista is white. And and uh, it, it it's it's stunning in that way in the wintertime. But I've been in there in the summertime, and it's equally impressive. And I probably shouldn't tell you about the time we went up with our ball team and one of our team members rode a beluga whale. This is this is the politically <laughs> oh. incorrect 1970s. I, I apologize. Yeah, was, there's a lot, was, of, a lot of stuff going on back then. Yeah, I don't imagine. <laughs> I don't imagine. I think that would be frowned upon it if somebody tried it today. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, anyway. Um, so what what other kinds of stories? Tyler, maybe we'll ask you this. What other kinds of stories are you telling in episode, in season five? We got some really fantastic stories. So we have an episode all about uh, plastic in the Great Lakes. Um, in our second season, we did an episode called Plastic Ocean, where we spent three weeks sailing across the Pacific Ocean from the Marshall Islands to Tokyo, studying uh, with a group of scientists on the sailboat, sort of studying this area that people sort of commonly refer to as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And we were trying to dispel that myth that it's like an island of trash. Um, you know, it, it, it's not. It's really tiny pieces spread across a whole ocean. It's actually a much worse problem. But so we followed up that um, episode with this season, looking at what's the situation with the plastic pollution crisis in the Great Lakes. Um, and with obviously a huge amount of population surrounding the Great Lakes, uh, you know, there's even higher concentrations of plastics and really microplastics in the Great Lakes than there are even in the biggest, you know, densest path patches of plastic in the ocean. Um, we have a great, a really fascinating episode about the world's oldest water. Uh, which has been discovered here in Ontario. Um, we have an episode, as I mentioned, looking about soil health, everything that sort of helps contribute to healthy soils, which has so many spin-off impacts for sequestering carbon, helping grow more um, more food sustainably uh, without so much you know inputs. Um, so that that's a really fascinating episode because agriculture is one of the biggest users and polluters of freshwater on the planet. About 70% of all freshwater on the planet that gets used is somehow related to use in agriculture. So that's a really important, fascinating episode. Um, and then am I missing one? Oh, yeah. Would you have one about protecting wetlands in Ontario? And as I'll mention, we have our breathing lands episode about a different type of wetland, peatlands in northern Ontario. Um, so those are some of the uh, the episodes that we had in the fifth season. Well, that sounds that sounds really fascinating. And you know, I'm I'm intrigued by the the peatlands because there's a story coming out of Alberta now, and back to the oil sands for just a moment. And uh, Suncor, the oil giant that owns Petro Canada and a lot of you know that folks will know Suncor through mm -hmm. through that brand. But they are they have a, a number of uh, oil sands facilities up there, and they're proposing to take a lake, McClelland Lake, which is an, an amazing. Uh, it's uh, ecosystem that and it's, it has extensive peatlands and they want to cut it in half with a wall. And, you know, I'm sure there, you know, there might be an, a Suncor engineer who's working on the project who who listens to this and 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 chuckles because we don't understand the, the technical part of why that would be feasible. But just at first blush, putting a wall through, you know, I think it's 16 kilometers or something putting a wall through a peatland 
so that you can mine the bitumen on one side of it and expecting the ecosystem on the other side to be intact seems crazy. And there is a fair amount of opposition, as you can imagine, amongst uh, environmentalists and, and uh, you know, and particularly Northern indigenous communities. But there, Alex, is a story that you, you might want to look into. Yeah, I, I actually, that that story relates a lot to what's in our episode as well. Um, so one of the professors we speak with uh, in the Breathing Lands is um, Dr. Mike Waddington out of McMaster University. And he's done a lot of research in Alberta. Actually, a lot of the peat scientists in Canada do tons of research out there because because of all the peatlands that uh, have been dug up in Alberta, a lot of uh, researchers have uh, have been given opportunities to study the impacts of the damaged peatlands and then also restoration efforts. So, you know, there's a, there are a lot of efforts there on the, you know, the abandoned wells and all these things where they're trying to restore the peatlands. And there's been some good success stories with that, uh, with these restoration efforts. And the scientists have been able to learn a lot about, oh, how do we bring peatlands back? So, that is like sort of one good news angle, uh, somewhat good news angle to it is that you can bring them back. But the problem is that once a peatland is destroyed, you're losing thousands upon thousands of years of carbon accumulation. And yes, they can come back, but it could take thousands of years till it you know, stores as much carbon or has as much carbon inside of it as it did before it was disturbed. Uh, but going back to uh, Professor uh, Waddington, he studies the impact of fire on peatlands. And one of the uh, big research, uh, one of the big studies he did was on the Fort McMurray fire. And the Fort McMurray fire was, you know, a, a road, there was some um, work being done. It was actually like a test that they were already planning to do to like build roads and different structures through peatlands to see how it would impact. And when you're talking about that, uh, that Suncor example, what happens is that when you build a road or structures through peatlands, um, you know, yes, they might only uh, mine one half or, or one part of that lake or that system, but it's going to completely change the hydrology of the entire peatland there. And it will most likely dry out the other side so that what, even though Suncor or whichever company may not actually touch the other side, they, but just by building these structures, you can impact the hydrology to the point where they're extremely vulnerable to fire. And that's what happened in Fort McMurray. The areas that had development around them, um, even though they might not have touched all those areas, they had dried out and those areas burned way deeper, way longer, way more intensely than the areas that weren't impacted. So that's something we re one of the many reasons why we have to think about peatlands and how we develop these areas in Canada, because you know, you don't have to have your footprint on all of it to make it vulnerable. Tyler, this is a question for you. And um, following up on something that Alex said about, you know, uh, interviewing a professor, uh, a scientist. And the hallmark of energy media's journalism is that we interview experts. And we interview a lot of scientists on, on issues like, uh, you know, oil sands, tailings, ponds, and, and what have you. But is that something that you consciously do in, in this series is you seek out expertise, whether it be scientists or maybe other types of, of expertise? And I mention this because there's been there's, a I think, a concerted attack on expertise and on experts, the legitimacy, their their legitimacy. And uh, just your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And that's definitely something, you know, in all of our seasons, we're always trying to find 
um, scientists, experts, community leaders that have a lot of experience and knowledge on these subject matters. Because, you know, Alex and I, we're not scientists, we're, we're filmmakers. Um, you know, we do a lot of research. We really try to we spend a lot of time and energy to wrap our head around these problems and understand them uh, in a balanced and fair way. But we really rely on our experts and our scientists to tell, to really get into the science and help us understand. And, and our job is sort of to break that break that complicated, sometimes complicated science and complicated issues and make them more digestible for the everyday public to under really understand it more simply uh, and really focus on what the solutions are. Um, and so oftentimes, yeah, we have to interview, we interview, I, I'd say almost every episode, there's at least two or three scientists that we've interviewed that we can't fit in. Um, but it's just such valuable a process for us to really get our understanding of it that to a, to a level where we feel comfortable to tell the story in a balanced way. And, and and I know what you mean. There definitely seems to have recently been more attacks on sort of intellectualism. Um, you know, being educated and smart sometimes. It, it, I'd see more of this a little bit in the U.S. It kind of happens everywhere. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely unfortunate. And um, I think our job is to help. Um, you know, when we interview scientists, to help find make their make their talking points really concise and 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 digestible for the everyday public. Yeah, I I find that myself. I, um, is my I see my job as as a journalist to really delve into these uh, questions as deep as I can in, into these issues, understand them as best I can, and then come back and explain them in simple language uh, and, and and explain what the, how the, what the issue is, how it works or how it doesn't work, whatever and 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 the, and the implications of it, the importance of it. And, and I think there's a, there's a, a hunger for that amongst you know the public. They, they climate science is just it's very complex, very technical. You know, how do you explain these kinds of issues? How do you explain atmospheric rivers and 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 you know, in, you know increases in temperature over a couple hundred years and why that's on and on and on and on? But that's <clears throat> that's the the job of folks like us to tell those yeah. stories so that that the people who aren't steeped in the science can un, can understand it. So, Alex, maybe we'll wrap up the interview with uh, a look ahead to what you know. Are you going to do a six series, uh, six uh, season? Well, uh, we haven't actually uh, discussed that yet. This is sort of around the time where we would start thinking or talking about a six season. But Tyler and I are actually in the midst of filming another documentary right now. So a six season would certainly we probably wouldn't have the bandwidth to start one for like almost a year from now. So. Yeah, so right now our, our our main goal is to just push this fifth season and then we're working on this uh, new IMAX documentary. Uh, it is a, a water-focused uh, story. Uh, I can't say too much about it, um, but it's uh, it has us down in, in the U.S. a lot, but it's uh, something I think that all your listeners would, would find very exciting if we could talk more more about it. Well, I'm disappointed that you can't talk more about it. A little teaser would have been uh, would have been appreciated. Hint, hint. No, not even a teaser. Well, uh, all I say, you know, just SK Films. Keep keep up with everything we do at SK Films. SKFilms.ca. We, um, you know, what we all the Water Brothers stuff is there. But you know, we have a lot of other films that are coming out. Um, you know, we just released one on Blue Whales, uh, which. It's amazing. We've been working with BBC Earth on all their new IMAX films. So we did uh, one with them on Antarctica and then the Arctic. Um, yeah, so we actually have a lot of content that's like also coming out right now too. So 
there's I, I would just encourage everyone to go there because that's that's where all the updates will be posted about all the new projects uh, that that will be coming up for us over the next year. Well, Tyler, I, I said that was going to be the last question that I directed, the one that I directed to Alex, but I'm, I I fibbed because uh, I do. I the, the SK Films doing work for IMAX, working with the BBC, being down in the U.S. I mean, basically, it sounds like you're you know global operation out of Canada. That's that's kind of cool. And you know, is that give us a little history of SK Films and and where you're going in the future with this around you know the IMAX stuff. Yeah, so SK Films sort of started about, well, this is our 25th year, actually. We've been around for oh, quite a bit of time. Uh, and it really started as sort of um, uh, Alex and I's stepdad started this company. Uh, he used to be part of a big uh, production company in Toronto called Shaftesbury, which is you know one of Canada's biggest production companies, produces a lot of big TV shows like Murdoch Mysteries that a lot of people have heard of. Um, and they kind of, before working at Shaftesbury, he had worked for IMAX Corp uh, when it was still a privately held Canadian company and the three original founders of IMAX, you know, so worked for them. And then he sort of split, he created sort of an IMAX division from Shaftesbury. So that's what the SK stands for. It's Shaftesbury Kerr. Robert Kerr was one of the three original founders of IMAX technology. So they kind of created this IMAX uh, sort of side production business. Uh, and we've been doing that for, yeah, like I said, 25 years. Um, and really, Alex and I have been working here for almost 15 years each. So um, unfortunately, yeah, our stepdad passed away a few years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, Wendy, our CEO, uh, sort of uh, took over. And Alex and I have been sort of, um, you know, yeah, I'm the managing director. Alex is our director of development. So we've been sort of helping push and guide the company forward. And, and, and we've been really fortunate to partner with some amazing filmmakers and organizations. As Al said, we're working with BBC Earth now um, on some of the, a bunch of their uh, IMAX transcreen projects, uh, some incredible other talented filmmakers. Um, so yeah, we're just really excited. Our, our, really, our goal with SK is to entertain, educate, and inspire. Um, really, everything we do is, is, is educational based, but we want it to be entertaining and inspiring for people to come away with a sense of hope about um, about the situations that are happening, you know, the, the, the climate crisis um, and really but focusing on solutions to how we can solve these problems. Um, we really want to be part of that conversation. And I think our films that we produce here and release here and distribute here, I think really help inspire people, particularly youth. Um, you know, so many of these films get seen at play at museums, science centers, aquariums, educational institutions. So there's huge amounts of, of school groups that go and see these films uh, all over the world. Uh, and so we're really proud of the work that we do here to help in sort of inspire the next generation of, of you know, forward thinking climate leaders, um, uh, you know, whatever, in, you know, profession they may take. I, we want them to have that connection with nature. Um, that's really important to us. So we hope to be able to continue that work for another 25 years. Well, I hope oh, you can. What, oh, sorry. Go ahead. One thing I'll add. One thing I'll add before we wrap up, because there is for people that want to see more of our content. Uh, like I said, go to skfilms.ca. Uh, but we have another film called Wings Over Water, which just came out recently uh, that we both worked on. And uh, it is playing at uh, IMAX Victoria. So you can if you're on you, you're on the island. So you can you can go see uh, one of our IMAX films uh, right there. Um, it's playing in Saskatchewan, Edmonton. Uh, so that that's playing in a lot of IMAX theaters right across the country that um, some of the, uh, your listeners might be familiar with. So yeah, Wings Over Water. That's all about the Prairie Pothole region uh, in Central Canada and the U.S. and bird migration, the story of bird migration. We work with some great partners at Ducks Unlimited and uh, Audubon um, who who helped make that film possible. So yeah, that, that's that's another uh, a film of ours that you can check out. 
What a fantastic story. Uh, you know, here I thought we were just going to be talking about your series, and it turns out that you're involved in, in all these other great projects. So, you know, we hope that you continue for another 25 years or, you know, longer. That's okay. And uh, thank you very much for this. It's been fascinating. Thanks, Roger. Thanks so really much, appreciate Marco. you having us on, yeah.